package the C word with the M word and tie it all together with some F words, grab your tissues because this episode will make you laugh, cry or both as Sasha Coburn shares her story on surviving breast cancer and what sexy ageing means to her today. If you know of someone who has survived cancer, then be a friend and have them tune into Sasha Coburn for episode 16. So I'd like to welcome a good friend and long-term colleague from sort of years back to the podcast, Sexy Aging. Welcome to Sasha. Sasha Coburn. <laughs> Great to be here. Thank you so much. I didn't think I would ever be invited to anything that had sexy associated with it. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. As, as am I. So I'd like to do a little um, introduction on you, but usually what I like to do is let you talk about yourself because you know yourself better than anyone else. But here's what I know. Um, I did Google you, and um, but I do know these things about you. So you are a leader and you develop people in leadership and you do have a company called The Company You Keep, which I am assuming those two things go together, helping people be better leaders. You're a motivational speaker and I've seen you speak multiple times and I would call you borderline comedy <laughs> because I can think of all the multiple um, speeches that I've seen you deliver. I don't even call them speeches, they're stories. And you have left me laughing and crying within half an hour. So that's awesome. And you are the director and CEO of The Coffee Culture which is a chain of cafes in New Zealand. I see it everywhere. Touchdown in Christchurch this week. Boom, there it is. So congratulations and well done on that amazing business, serving people awesome food and coffee. But here's the good stuff, all right? I mean, that's all wonderful and that's amazing and that's what you put out there in the world. But what I know and love about you, you're a mum. You're a fellow step instructor. Yeah, you've got a step for life. <laughs> step for life. Um, Otago Uni student. Uh, we knew each other from o Otago. A uh, Les Millsy, you know. Um, and where we're going with today's story is you are a breast cancer survivor. So I'm going to hand it over to you now, Sasha. And if you want to share a little bit more about you, because you know yourself best and we're excited to hear from you. Yeah, thanks, Tracy. We go back a really long way. And when you ask, like, how would I describe myself? There's so many different facets to what it is that we both do, right? And, and for women, that's so common that we have multiple hats and multiple ways of describing ourselves. And the summary that you've given, that's kind of my CV. It's what I do for a job and it's some things that I've done it's always fascinating to ask ourselves, yeah, but who are we? You know, in the midst of all that, if you strip away the job and if you strip away uh, even the relationships in terms of friendships and mums, if you're just on your own in that quiet place, who are you? And that's one of the questions that I've been grappling with, you know, for a long time now, because partly when I say, what is my purpose? What am I here to do on this planet? It's an exploration of what are the things that make me unique? And part of sexy aging, interestingly enough for me, is coming into the self-acceptance of recognizing who we are and acknowledging both the strengths in that and coming to some acceptance about who I'm never going to be and being okay about that. And I've done a lot of work trying to sort of come up with who I am and words that, that kind of keep coming up for me. I am challenging. And for a long time, I was like, why don't I have more friends? 
And the reason I don't have more friends is because I'm challenging. It's, it's, I kind of ask difficult questions and I'm not easy to get along with in, in some respects. And so coming to accept that has made it much easier for me to understand who I am. I am challenging, but I'm also really joyful. And so I approach almost every situation in my life with joy. And when you note about, you know, whenever I speak or teach, there's humor involved it's not even deliberate it's just that I think that life is funny and I think if we're laughing we're learning and our ability to recognize what's funny about the way that our lives unfold that gives us uh, more ability to cope with what's in front of us and it's certainly been helpful for me through my cancer journey uh, through menopause now to just have a lightness about things and that kind of sums up a little bit who I am challenging but joyful Oh, no, no, you just, you challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were challenging, although, you know, other people might differ or disagree. But yeah, I, I think the challenge and is important because you ask, you do ask good questions. It's part of what you do to help people find their purpose and be better leaders. That's ingrained in you. And you obviously have turned it into a career, which is amazing. It's so I think good. There's, there's always an opportunity to do things differently. And I've never been afraid of that. So much of our innovation across our lives and in our businesses comes from being willing to ask questions. How could this be different? Um, you know, my parents were hippies and, and I have this ingrained thing about challenging the status quo, that if we look at who our society currently serves and who it doesn't serve, if we just keep doing the same things, we'll get the same results. So I'm all about saying, we could do this differently. And what would different look like? And how could I be a part of that? It's amazing. And uh, I want to really come into um, that moment where you were diagnosed with breast cancer, because this obviously is a big thing for women all over the world. And there's a lot of information about it. And we're pretty on top of the diagnosis part, of course, if you do the testing and check yourself and, and, and then you can have, you know, potentially a great outcome. So you were probably one of the very first people that I knew that I personally knew that had breast cancer and you wrote a blog and I followed the blog and I was living overseas at the time. So that's how I knew what was happening in your world. Um, and you are incredibly articulate, both speaking and writing. So you grabbed me through your blog. And um, if you still are putting that blog out there, or if it's still available, I'd love to add it to the show notes, but here's our opportunity to hear from you about that experience. Well, I think, Going back, I was 36 at the time, so that's 11 years ago now, so reasonably young. Uh, I didn't have any uh, compelling family history of breast cancer. I was fit, I was healthy, I didn't smoke. Um, I was really well, except that I had cancer. And I was slow to the diagnosis because my cancer presented really high uh, on my breast. And so, I, I mean, you, if you know me, you'll work out really pretty quickly that I have such a high opinion of myself so my ego knows no bounds and so because I was playing so much tennis I was I said to my husband oh babe look I think my muscles are really growing because I've got this little bit that kind of sticks out it felt a little bit like what your bicep feels like after you've done you know lots of kind of bicep curls so I was like yeah well my peak is just popping I'm so strong and this was the story that I was telling myself because I had imagined from all of the exposure I'd had to to the public health messages about breast cancer, that cancer, I don't know why, lump in my mind 
meant a pea. I was waiting for a pea-sized lump whenever I would, uh, you know, do any self-checks. So because my lump was just sort of like a bit of toughened muscle on the top of my pec, I just dismissed it as being like a training injury. And it was my husband who said, you should go and check that out, get, get that looked at. I was like, come on, honey, surely. I went to the GP and she was really apologetic. She said, I'm so sorry. It's going to be absolutely nothing. It's, it's nothing. But because you've now come to see me, you have to go one step further and go and have a mammogram. And from the mammogram to mastectomy was about eight or nine days. Like it happened really quick to go mammogram. Then I had to go and have biopsy, biopsy result, surgeon, and away we go. I had multiple lumps in the one breast of a size that were, was of a concern. So when I had the mastectomy, they also took the lymph nodes out from under my arm. And I had one lymph node that had cancer in it. And if you imagine that your lymph nodes are, they're like a motorway system that carry stuff through your body. And so what that meant was that cancer was on the move out of my breast and into my body, but it was only basically on one motorway. Out of the 21 motorways that it could have been on, it was on one. So that was both good and bad news. You know, bad that it was moving, good that it, there was only uh, one. And once we got the, um, once the breast was off, we were then able to diagnose what type of cancer it was. And it was called HER2, uh, which meant that it's a bad kind of cancer, but the good news about that is there's new treatments for that kind of cancer now. So I sort of felt every step along the way, there was bad news, good news, bad news, good news. And I was able to, I'm the kind of person I just wanted all of the information I possibly could. I said, tell me my stats, tell me the prognosis, what have I got to do? And I just kind of went through this thing where I said, well, this is the reality now, let's go. And my children were four and eight at the time. So we... I mean, we had the cancer experience. It was a family experience. You know, my mum came and lived with us uh, for a little while to help out. And we got on with doing the do of working out how we could, how we could best help me survive. It's, yeah, it's, it actually blows my mind that you were 36. And since then, I have actually heard of other women about the same age that have gone through the same experience, have young children, um, don't comprehend that that would be something that would happen to them at that age. So yeah, thank you for sharing. Um, the decision to have a mastectomy, was that a decision that you could make or was that just something that happened? Like so that, that was, was all part of it? Yeah, that was completely not an optional thing. That was like how we treat this is we will be taking your breast off. Partly because I've got small boobs. So I know sometimes when women have larger boobs, they can have a lumpectomy where the lumps get removed. But because I had multiple lumps and the surgeon, she was pretty funny. She said, you know what? Once we've taken the cancer out, there's not much left. So, so it just meant that the whole thing had to go. Uh, and there was never any doubt in my mind that that's what we would do. And they started at that stage, we started the, asking the question about reconstruction. And I remember before I had the surgery I went and had a recording of myself made because one of the things I'd done around researching the risk is one of the greatest risks was not the cancer but every time you go under a general anesthetic there's a risk and so I recorded this clip that was basically to family and friends telling them I loved them and thanking them so that if I died because the anesthetist got it wrong there would be like a message from me 
I mean, like I said, ego knows no bounds. I wanted to have, I had my makeup done. I had my hair done. It was all ready to like be played at my funeral. I wanted to be um, prepared. But it was through that process that we had to decide, okay, do you want to get a reconstruction at the same time? And I had thought that absolutely I would. Here was my opportunity to get a boob job. I could take my small breasts and make them big. And wouldn't that be exciting? But I knew that my energy had to go first and foremost into survival and that surviving was the most important thing. So I said, you know what, let's just take the breast off. We add a complicating factor in if we try to rebuild it at the same time. So it's possible to do. But for me, I said, I just don't want anything that adds any extra level of risk. So let's just take it off. And then I just never got around to replacing it. Um, so I'm a, I'm a one wonder now. And that's been interesting in terms of a discussion about where do you, how do you feel sexy? What's your body positivity like? Where do you get your esteem from about how you look? And so I've had to confront a bunch of those things. Yeah, I want to dive into that conversation now, actually, while we're right here. So also some of the things that I remember is you standing on stage unapologetic and authentic as fuck telling us some of your story and and you're obviously teaching us a lesson as we go along um and I do remember sitting with a group of colleagues and them kind of looking at you like there's something wrong with your top <laughs> because you were you would stand there and unless we knew your story unless you know you know that you you know you'd gone through breast cancer chemo the whole thing and you're a survivor, you might not have figured out what the situation is. So that's some of what I remember. Like, how does that make you feel when you get up on stage? Do you are you aware of it, or do you get questioned about it? Or so two aspects to that. A lot of questions there. <laughs> yeah. So so that one of the first aspects is going back to the fact that my boobs were small. It meant that there would be a number of situations where I mean, I I literally just stopped wearing bras. I'd just wear a singlet and then whatever my shirt was. Because my boobs are small, lots of people wouldn't notice because unless they looked, it's not, if you had a massive boob, you can imagine that your whole shirt would stick out for a meter on one side and not on the other. Um, so I had a choice, I felt. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't such a big deal. But I just got to the stage where I had, I had a fake boob, like a chicken fillet, but it felt heavy and it itched and it scratched. And I thought, who am I doing this for? What's, what's this about? Uh, most people know that I've had cancer and if they don't, I'll tell them and I don't care. And what I want to have is the maximum comfort <laughs> that I possibly can. And for me at that time, that meant just not wearing any uh, prosthesis, nothing fake and just, and I had no, no attachment to whether people thought that made me more or less of a woman. I, I couldn't care less because that, whatever they made of that was in their heads and not in mine. And it was about them, not, not about me, because I was just standing up. I'm here to talk to you about something and th that's what I'm going to do. I, and I, that's what I absolutely love and admire about you. Like you know deeply who you are and what you're here for. And this has all been part of the journey. So I, I, I really love it. Um, one of the questions that I have, I actually asked you a lot of questions back then, but you know, we're going to just go through this. Yeah, like please. So menopause. Um, 
one of the questions that I have personally, and I feel like a lot of women probably do, they go, well, what's the connection between having had cancer and menopause? Because does the chemo and all the medication that you've had in the past, does that affect your hormones in what ways? And you've mentioned to me that you're menopause. So I'm curious as to the, the combination of, you know, having had breast cancer and um, experiencing menopause. Well, the types of chemo that I had, uh, it was highly likely that I would lose my fertility and go into early menopause at that time. Uh, that didn't happen for me. I uh, have been blessed with fertility. I've always been a really fertile person. Men and women just look at me and I get pregnant. So <laughs> I was, I was, you know, our family was finished. So I was really relaxed about hope. In some respects, I was like, hopefully early menopause will come and that will be great. But it didn't, it didn't come. And I bled as per normal for years. And it's only been in the last few years. Uh, and so for some people, I suppose, um, 45 uh, is early to, to start on a menopause journey. But my memory of my mother was that she was about that age with no cancer when she had started going through her uh, you know, menopause at that time. So I hadn't done a whole lot of research around what the relationship is between you know, the breast cancer and the menopause, except that uh, I feel that in some of my medical options now, there's things that I wouldn't do. So because of um, breast cancer and the relationship with um, estrogen, uh, I'm not going to be in the market for taking hormone replacement. Uh, I there may be plenty of people out there that have breast cancer that do. I've just had a choice for me that I just don't want to put anything into my body that I don't understand what it's going to do with my hormonal mix because my body has already told me once in the past that it really can't be trusted. It doesn't know what it's doing and it let the cancer grow. So I don't want to introduce new things in that might give it some funny messages again. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does actually. So quite a few of the podcast uh, interviews that I'm doing now, we are exploring uh, hormonal replacement therapy and um, estrogen therapy um, because I personally don't have a lot of knowledge or background in that. I'm not a doctor and I'm trying to find out for, you know, for us to find oh. out, you know, what are the options and what are the choices that we have? So I really appreciate and applaud your choice because I do understand if I had been in your situation and had put that amount of drugs into the body, then you start thinking, you know, what are my options and do I want to go down that route? There seems to be, or there has been in the past, research that indicates you know estrogen with hormone replacement therapy anyway I'm not going to make a comment on it because like I said I'm not the doctor but I think I applaud your choice and there are so many ways that we can you know help ourselves deal with it and there are a lot of um, uh, medical doctors not just doctors but people that really do understand how the body works and they can help us navigate our way through menopause yeah, one of the things that's important to me is that I'm I'm never closed off to stuff. Yeah. So, and I change my mind all the time, and that's okay because as we learn more information, we should make new decisions. And I think one of our biggest risks, let's take childbirth as an example. How many of us of women have these childbirthing plans that involve whale music and in urine candles and private pools and birthing and, and all of that. And then when, when we get down to it, we get to a stage where we go, you know what, get this baby out and those plans go awry. And I think it's, it's a real shame when people have birth experiences that are tainted because their expectations were a particular 
way and we can get into these fixed mindsets people who say I will never do this or never do that I've I have never been a person who would ever say never so let me give you an example of that I have courageously some would say gone just as a one boob person since uh, since my mastectomy until about a year ago and one of the things that happened with uh, my menopause is I've got fatter like really fatter in places that I did not expect to be fat so I've never had like a muffin top before whenever I've put on weight I've put on weight around my uh, thighs and around my butt um, uh, never been fat in other places in my body and through menopause my arms have got fat and my belly has got fat so I make this joke that if I jump into a pool I don't need a rubber ring to be rescued because if I'm horizontal I've got a ring around me now and and so part of what that meant is when I get dressed if I don't have my fake boob in I feel like my shape has changed and so I'm really bottom heavy now. And I started becoming self-conscious of that because I just didn't like the way I looked anymore. And so what I did is I went and got resized for a new prosthesis. And so now I regularly wear a bra with a fake boob in it because it just balances the top half of my body against what is now my fat rubber ring and, and my hips and thighs. So I'm not so set free that I'm like, no, I'm never going to do that. I'm just making the best decisions I can on a day-by-day -day basis to feel good about myself and how I exist in the world. Yeah. I hear you on that. And I think that's one of the upsides of this third stage of life. Our, you know, well, they call it midlife and all these crazy ways of expressing that we just know a lot of shit and we don't take ourselves too seriously now. So, and that we can make those decisions and, and you make it because it makes you feel good and you realize this is how I want to put myself out in the world. And I might've thought that back then, but I don't think that now. And maybe I'm just less judgy. There's that part to it as well. You know, like I don't really give a, Rats ask what you think. This is how I want to feel. Um, Absolutely. So when it comes to feeling sexy, sometimes I ask listeners this one. Sometimes I don't. Depends where the conversation's going. But I think you're up for it. <laughs> what do you do to make yourself feel sexy, or how do you feel it about yourself now as a woman? So I think one of the things that's really interesting for me when I answer that question is to separate out feeling sexy in the sense of. Um, being sexual with my husband right so there's the sex thing on one side and then on the other side there's just being sexy in the world right so that's I'm um, sexy as I go about my business and they're two quite distinct things in my mind so I was always really lucky uh early on in the whole breast cancer thing that my husband and I've talked about this he's an ass man right he, he loves asses so when you know when we're I don't know, he's not going to listen to this, but just everyone pretend you haven't heard this, but I want you to know. Um, if, if you're with an ass man and you lose a boob, it's less of an issue, right? You just roll over and do it that way and that's great. Nothing's changed, okay? The outlook is the same. There's less to hold on to, but you you can work around it. I think if he had been a boob Yeah, and I think man, men are visual, so you know yeah. when it comes to their visual and so when what they're looking at is probably what's going to do it for them so yeah. well done yeah well yeah done. yeah well well done choosing that inadvertently <laughs> I think that if he'd been a boob man that might have changed a lot of my decisions as well 
it might have been more important to him what I chose to do in terms of reconstruction. But at the time, he was very much do what you can to stay alive, honey. And in every situation since then, he's been do what you need to do to feel good about yourself. So that's that kind of part of this, the mechanics of the sex bit, right? But in terms of what makes you feel sexy in the world, one of the things that's so great about being at the age and stage that I am now is I really feel like professionally I'm stepping into my power. And I get a lot of my feeling of sexiness and uh, who I am in the world from the fact that I can speak at a meeting now and have 500 people listen and there be quiet. You could hear a pin drop in the room while people are waiting for the next thing I'm about to say. And that feels fucking sexy, man. That's like, yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are waiting for what I'm going to say next. And so a lot uh, of my kind of joy and sparkle comes from that. That's I what lights my fire. I can vouch for that. I have hung on to your sentences when you've been doing um, a presentation or a speech or or just, you know, just being yourself. I would sign up just to go and watch you because the roller coaster of emotions that you can take us through. And so if I'm just one person sitting there in that sea of 500, yeah, that's some freaking power right there. You are helping people feel things and that is goddamn sexy. <laughs> and I'm so much more convinced of our sexiness of our minds, man, of how we present ourselves in the world, the conversations that we have. And let's take the stereotype. You'll see an older guy at a bar chatting to a younger woman. And I'm like, oh, good for you, honey. Trade on the thing that you've got. And if that's, you know, skinny ankles and nice little wrists and nice hair, good for you. My hair is like short and spiky and post-chemo, it's a bit rough and all of that. But I tell you what, if we're going to have a conversation, that man is going to be challenged and he's going to have some joy and he's going to go, whoa, what the hell just happened? Whoa, and he'll have a whole side of him awakened that he does not even know exists. And that's sexy. Oh, thank you so much. I absolutely love love that gem that you've shared with us. So one of the other things I ask the um speakers my guests to share is a recommended book or course now I know that you're an avid book reader and I follow your book lists and I've read many of the books that you've recommended so I'm always really grateful when you post the stack of summer reading that you're going to do and um, so you've got to pick one or two I'm going to give you two max <laughs> that you can recommend for our listeners it doesn't have to be about aging it can just be something that maybe challenges your mind or or a beautiful story that you've read recently so two things I can never read often enough the Maya Angelou poem phenomenal woman so you can never get enough of that in your soul so if you start your day with that and it reminds you what it means to be a woman and have hips and get a load of that in you as a meditation or a mantra, I love it. And the other book that I've read uh, just recently that I absolutely love is Glennon Doyle's Untamed. And boy, that just speaks to the power of living your truth, you know, whatever that is 
Um, funny you should mention that because I listened to her podcast where she was interviewed with uh, Oprah on Super Soul Sundays. I listened to the interview with Glennon and I thought of you. Ah, cool. Yay. Yeah. Just, just the power of the words and the ability to communicate and express herself and the way she tells stories are they're so compelling and you can mm. just so relate. I mean, I'd be walking along and you know how exercise is. You walk along because you get your heart rate up and it makes you feel good. But there's occasionally someone that would speak into your ears and it drops down into your heart and into your soul and you feel the tears rise, mm. which doesn't happen when you exercise. But when that does happen, you know, that person is a special soul and um, they're giving us a gift in their stories. You are that person as well, Sasha. I wanted to let you know that. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you for joining us on the podcast. I know that your story is going to be a hit with our listeners and um, let's catch up, catch up again soon. Thank you, Tracy. Great to be with you. Remember, everybody, Marilyn Monroe was a sex symbol 30 years ago. Most of us are now too skinny to be Marilyn Monroe. When you are chasing something that you think will make you feel good, ask yourself, who taught you to want that and is it worthy of your time oh. Spend time investing in yourself that's where your joy and delight will come from thank you tracy thank you sasha i hope you enjoyed listening to the episode as much as i enjoyed hosting it I love that there are so many generous women willing to share their story and expertise to help and inspire all of us going through the mire of menopause. If you enjoyed this episode, please check the show notes to follow my guests. All their details are there. And if you want to stay connected for further episodes, please like, subscribe, review, and of course share with your friends. It's through your support and feedback that I can continue to produce episodes. Aroha nui.